welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Ponfidith, and today we have a very, very special guest, someone that I'm honored and humbled that she even said yes to this program. Her name is Sister Jenna. Sister Jenna is a renowned speaker and founder of the Meditation Museum in Silver Spring, Maryland, as well as McLean, Virginia, and she is the host of the popular and globally broadcasted America Meditating Radio Show. She was selected by Empower a Billion Women 2020 as one of 100 most influential leaders of 2015. Congratulations, Sister Jenna. Thank you, Molly. (laughs) Well, she was also a principal partner with the Oprah Winfrey Network and Values Partnership on the Oprah Winfrey Belief Team, a community of individuals from diverse spiritual cultural and faith-based backgrounds who got together and continued to get together to share the commonalities of our belief and our faith. Your mission, Sister Jenna, is to decode critical current issues and offer a perspective for folks to find clarity, power, and insight. And despite the many life challenges that we face on a global scale, your job, your passion, your purpose has an uncanny ability to connect us back to where our problems originated and shift our awareness toward the solutions. I thank you so much for being a part of our show today and appreciate your contributions to the world. Well, Molly, it's always a great pleasure to just be with you in spirit. I know the last time we were together, we were celebrating my birthday. I'll bleep that out. No worries. (laughs) You know, ever since I was 13, I have never been able to be honest with my age. When I was young, I wanted to look much younger. And now that I'm older, I want to look younger. (laughs) We'll take you as you are. So it's very cute. It's very cute, but I'm happy to be with you today. Thank you so much. I'd love to start out the show by just asking you, what was the inspiration behind the Meditation Museum, and how did you go about getting involved, being a part of this whole movement of awareness and raising our consciousness to a different and higher level? Well, I'd be happy to share in in brief. Um, In my 20s, I had a very, very impactful download. And it was of God's light. And my parents at the time, they were involved with the Brahma Kumaris, which is an international spiritual movement with 9,000 branches in 120 countries. So I got involved with that. And about 18 years ago, I was transferred from New York to Washington to open up a branch here. And whilst in D.C., I could see the climate that was here, the individuals that were here and Meditation and spirituality is just not high on the list of policy making or <laughs> or of anything that they might say this is important for the country to observe. And I thought that was a little sad because we all come from spirit and we all return to spirit. And if we're negating the um, obvious, then there's just demise. And so my great grandfather, Brahma Baba, who started the Brahma Kumaris, used to say, open up museums in big cities. And that's how it started. I 
found the space, and it was in downtown Silver Spring. We opened that up, and my very, very dear friend, Madame Harriet Fulbright, from the Fulbright Scholarship family, I turned to her and I said, do you think I should do this? Am I going to come across even more unique uh, than I already am? She said, you know, Sister Jenna, do it. If it really works here, you better believe you've got something great going on here. And it has. Now we have another one in Tyson's, Virginia, and it's doing great. And so that's how it all came about, really. You mentioned something very cute and beautiful. You said, um, am I going to be more unique than I already am? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I love, I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, we here at the Store Community Network really believe in finding that unique gift and talent and the God-given gifts that came with us, you know, and being able to step into that as we grow into adults, where life has kind of maybe pushed some of the um, unique gifts that came with us aside or, or hid them away. And when you go out into the world today doing the work that you do, what does it mean to step into your unique light? And how does it feel? And what would you like to inspire other people to really claim that and, mm. and use that to their benefit? Great question. It's a journey, everyone. Um, no one's going to find their uniqueness after they pass 18. Definitely not at 16 and definitely not at 25. So I think that all the stages that we go through, by the time you reach your maybe late 30s, it depends on how much attention you've been paying on your true sense of self. When you get into your 40s, there's a sense like, oh, I think this is me. Then you get into your 50s and then you're like, look, this is what's been working and these are the areas that I'm seeing that I'm going to need to pay more attention to. So when I speak about uniqueness, I speak about something that's a little bit beyond what the current theme is. And in my uniqueness, it is contributing towards opening up new pathways of awareness, of looking at things from another perspective, and yet it not leaving behind something damaging, but it actually contributing to something beneficial for everyone. So I think that when someone's very, very unique, they leave behind this trail of benefit for many others. Uh, in addition to that, the way that I dress and the way that I carry myself is very different than the average person that is walking around with name brand clothes and outfits. And so I remembered when we planted our Peace Tree Mali on Capitol Hill, and at the time I was working with uh, Matthew Evans, who is the director of the architect for the Capitol. And he never met me before. And I said, he said, how am I going to recognize you when we have to meet on the, on the mall or on the hill? I said, trust me, you can't miss me. I look like the monuments. I wear these white robes. And he was like, okay, I don't get that. But you should have seen his face when he was crossing the street. He looked at me, then he looked up at the peace monument and he said, oh my goodness, they do look alike. <laughs> So that's how I'm unique. 
Yes. Washington, Beautiful. okay? <laughs> and you've done some great, great work for Washington, D.C., but you've also done some powerful work all across the globe. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the great thing about being unique, but also it's not easy being unique. There's that ego that gets in the way, right? Well, what yeah. will people think? And how do I carry myself? And how do I blend in? Because there's that need to also fit into a community. And so how were you able to, through all these years of training and meditation and really stepping into your role, knowing that it's a higher calling for you, how were you able to separate ego or, or combine Combine it with the spiritual part of what needs to be done uh, what an, from that level. What an interesting question. Um, and I'm going to be so honest, I actually didn't feel I needed to fit into the society or to the world. I felt that before my spiritual life. Here's This is a very interesting question. Before my spiritual life, I felt that. When I started to be more open, and, and and let me define spirituality is where you're paying more attention to moving your story more forward into a space of remembrance of your qualities and divine traits and strengths of character and, and purity of intent and purity of spirit. So I've not felt that as I moved into this unique sense of self. Now I feel it ex- very natural, very truthful. Ironically, within my own own spiritual community of the Brahma Kumaris, I felt myself at the beginning trying to see where I fit in. How interesting is that, right? But for the rest of the world, I didn't feel that. What a unique question. So where I felt that in my own BK community was in my first five years, and maybe it's like a teenager trying to fit in. Uh, because of peer pressure and because of the influence of authority and the influence of uh, things that you're not even privy of. So I would say that, um, again, back to the fact that it is an unfolding, but I have not at this point needed to fit into the world's standards. I don't necessarily believe that at the level of the majority, the world standards are at a level of revealing God's beauty. And so it's not of interest for me. However, I am interested in the world because without it being in the condition that it's in, I don't think I would be so committed to feeling like salmon swimming uphill until I get to peaceful grounds. That's such a beautiful imagery. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would just say that ego travels with all of us. And um, my first five years, Mali, of spirituality, I thought I was perfect and that I was a god and everybody was telling me I was, so they can't be wrong. But I remembered sitting in my Baba's room, which is our meditation room. And I told Baba, which is my affectionate term for God's light, I'm not what everyone is saying. Inside, I'm not matching who they say I am. And I don't want to be a fraud, Baba. And it was at that moment I felt perfect because I was being so honest. So when you're unique, my recommendation is to be honest. And in your honesty, you disarm ego. Wow. That needs to be shared across the globe. 
just that phrase right there. Mm. Thank you. Well, can I ask you also then about the uh, meditation museum itself? What um, types of people come through? Who is attracted? What are some of the beautiful offerings of the Meditation Museum? And how, how has that been now that you've opened up this beautiful facility last year in McLean, Virginia, expanding this mission? Mm, I think because I come from a diverse background, being raised and from an Indian father and an African mother. And on my Indian side, it's like 20 aunts and uncles who all are married to Chinese, African, Cuban, European. So I have this energy of just mixing. I just include, I don't know what your color is. I don't care. Let's talk about who we are from the core level of the spirit. So I've had the fortune of um, souls from all different backgrounds have come into the museum. The one in Tyson has, of course, a little bit more of a professional um, visitorship because it's in the heart of the business district of Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And so it's from senior citizens to a lot of underserved youths and families to women, uh, to entrepreneurs, to people in the realm of political leadership, everyone. It, I can't necessarily say only this type come to the museum. I actually don't have specific demographics, but I do know that it's been all types that come there. And I'm touched by that. It's a home for everyone. And Molly, I specifically chose the artwork and the artifacts and the narrative in the museum just so that we don't have to be proselytizing or telling anyone anything. Rather, when you come in the space, you find yourself. You've got your own story pre-recorded in you. And these images are to help you to find more clarity on who you are, why you're here, and where you will go when you leave those doors. What type of programs are being offered? And I'm just curious to know, do you have any ones that are more popular than others? I know there you have so much going on with it's both the museums, right? Right, right. In 2015, we catered to 179 events that were recorded, and wow. that's not the private ones. So to give you an idea, it's a moving museum. It's not just an image that you come in and it's old and you're just, no, you're working progress. Most most popular ones are the programs on um, Raj Yoga, which is our basis of the Rama Kumari's teaching. Workshops, funnily enough, on anxiety, karma, ego, vegetarian cooking um, are really, really ranking high. And we have a lot of authors and friends that pass through, a lot of celebrities that come through and offer their gifts as a service to the community. So pretty much they do really, really well. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm also curious to know about your radio program as well. Mm -hmm. How long has it been running and uh, how do you find it now that you're in all these different countries and getting callers and probably responses from all kinds of diverse mm -hmm. ethnic groups, learning more about what the meditation museum or even just the whole concept of mindfulness is like. Um, have, how have you enjoyed that experience being the host? Um, it was by default. <laughs> My mother survived cancer and she has an exquisite voice. Mm. And I thought that, you know, your body goes through a lot of wear and tear after chemo and radiation. And I just wanted to keep 
allowing her life to be used in service because that's what she's done for 35 years. She has taught millions of people meditation and spirituality and coming from an, an orphanage at the age of five and traumatized and abused and raped and abandoned. You know, there's a lot of issues going on in her. And so with that, her service to humanity has been a part of her healing, yet she knows she still has a long way to go. So she's laying around the lodge and I realize that there's online radio programs available. You pay a fee and that's it. So she said, I don't know if I can do this, Jen. Could you try a little bit? So I went, okay, I'll just try. And then you must speak, though. You must say something. And that's your show. So after two, three weeks a month, she's just doing two, four minutes on the air. And I'm realizing because I'm very committed when I start something, it must be concluded because you will pull your awareness and that's what takes away your power to succeed because you didn't finish what you started. Right. So it's lagging in the consciousness. So I just couldn't stop it there. And here we are three years later, 800,000 800, listeners. She still reads her poems <laughs> and she's got me stuck on this radio show. <laughs> but I've loved it though, because you've been on it and yes, we're learning you. so much from each other. And Look at how we have been helping each other. You know, remember when Oprah's opening, I thought of you and I went, oh, Molly will be good. And, you know, we're helping each other. I'm creating a network of incredible people who don't know each other, but we need to know each other right. so we can keep doing more good to the world. So the it's been a great is, gift, I have to say. The great thing that is, is um, we, we don't know each other, but we know each other at the soul level. And so we recognize each other. And it was such a beautiful mm -hmm. thing when I got that message uh, from you. And then I spoke with, um, you know, Etoy uh, Original, who was really helping to spearhead this and her team. Um, and she and I have become great friends, too, now. And she's actually coming to be a part of our SOAR Community Summit. And it's just how it works. You know, you find these amazing souls who want to uh, be change makers in the world. And we do our part. And what we can't do, because it's not in our unique gift wheelhouse, we invite others to come and help us. And that's the beauty of community. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the work that you've been doing. And I think that's where as we keep expanding this and, and building more relationships and friendships, we're building this very strong vortex of transformation. And we don't know when the date will happen where we'll just start to hear about more good than bad. And we'll know that we were just, we were a part of that. And that was really important for us to carry in our subconscious. I would love to have your personal perspective on this because you have been out there in the community. You've traveled all over the world. You've seen things that many of us haven't seen. You've actually been on the ground, grassroots level, making truly physically making change happen, but also helping with policy and influence when it comes to getting more politicians, getting more people in leadership positions, um, just opening up their eyes and hearts and minds to being more aware of what's going on around the world. How have you been able to help, or how do you feel about this bridge of spirituality, mindfulness, and politics and policies? Do you see that there's becoming a big shift in, in bringing that together, or is there still a lot, a lot of work to do? Mm, there's always a lot to do because there's so many of us, and each one of us as souls, we're on 
just we, we just had we're, we're at our level we are where we are supposed to be and it doesn't necessarily mean we all match uh, the same vision in the same way that we intend to get to our destination so that makes the ball very interesting to juggle it makes it a very unique part of caboodles to play with but knowing that is crucial knowing that is crucial and knowing that when we do contribute whatever bit of wisdom or goodness or divinity or newness or originality that we are being governed by God's energy to share with humanity, we must trust that that percentage, however small it might seem, is the critical part to the game because it will make the shift. There's a story, you know, Mali, about this little Buddhist monk who was building a wall and he really wanted it to be perfect. And when he was done, there was one brick that was um, not in the wall properly. And so the master came to observe the wall and he said, wow, this is perfect. This looks beautiful. And the little Buddhist monk said to the master, didn't you see that one brick? Look, look, look at how crooked it is. How could you say it's a perfect wall? He turned to him and he said, see, 99 bricks in the wall are perfect. But you choose to focus on the one. So even our little percentage that we offer, we know it's creating something. And I feel that that's creating uh, work. It, it's making others think. Congressman Tim Ryan has started a program with salads in schools. And as much as it seems small on the table where policies and programs are concerned, food is a huge contribution to the way that you think. As is the food, so is your mind. That little policy is being shaped because he believes that spirituality, mindfulness, a vegetarian diet is important for our children. That will change cultures for the future. That would change, rather, generations for the future. So, my dear, um, it's, it's making an impact. Um, my conversations with political leaders are extremely mindful and not manipulated. I want to I get back to what touches your heart as a person. I don't want to hear your political party. I don't want to hear who you owe in terms of favors. Can we just have a heart-to-heart -heart chat as if God and you and me are sitting in this room together? And I think that's what makes these relationships so powerful and so important. I believe that we are progressing in many ways, considering or despite what we're hearing in the media. And I think we cannot give up on the path that we are on at this time, especially as individuals taking the light or using the guiding light to move the story forward. Well, I had this conversation just a couple weeks ago with some dear friends. We were sitting around talking about how each individual person, sometimes it's overwhelming with all that's going on in the world, to really just want to, you know, say, gosh, it's too much. Like, there's nothing that we can do at this point, right? It's just, mm -hmm. I just want to give up and crawl away and find some island to go to. And imagine, I, w I was just discussing with them, imagine if every single soul and spirit felt that way, like billions of us, that we each then decided to give up. Um, it would just be over. 
you know, so it's like that one person choosing to keep pushing forward to bring that light forward, and then another person following, another person following, that's really the way to, to make it happen, but it just feels so daunting when you think of just your soul, your single soul self. But when we think of all of us binding each other with heart and spirit together, it becomes a lot more achievable and less daunting. <laughs> That's why I love this movement that you're you're actually working on now. I know that this month, the month of May is uh, coming up here is National Meditation Month. And you've got this beautiful movement that's um, really starting to take form and shape and inviting those to meditate the vote. So I'd love for you to share with our listener what that is. What is meditate the vote? Uh, what inspired it? And, and how would you like to invite our audience to take part? Thank you for asking that question. I was at the airport two days ago and a very, very famous author shared um, her husband was asking her, what is Sister Jenna up to now with Meditate the Vote? <laughs> so she was telling him, well, Alan, you've got one politician that can't be trusted, one that's so idealistic that they don't know how they're going to get it done, one who is deranged, one that's not an American. Meditate on that, Alan. <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious when she told me that. I just said, could you tweet that, please? But it's not about that. Meditate the Vote is to try to engage in just a higher level of con conversing. And it is my wish that the presidential candidates also begin to engage in the questions that we have presented to the nation so that we can amplify our way of being citizens. Shakespeare once said, Mali, as is a city, so are its people. And I think when we see the individuals who, who resonate with certain of the candidates, they are revealing to us what is sitting at the base of their consciousness and subconscious as a person. So when you meditate the vote, you're turning inward to observe you, yourself first. What do you need? What's important for you? What are you planning to contribute to the country? And then when you go to the voting booth, see what you think would be the best call. And that would come from a good place of doing work on yourself first. So we're just looking to really shift the energy that's in the country in a way that we are definitely more accountable and more responsible and not so easily influenced by the theater of this current political campaign that we're living through as Americans which is very new for us and very interesting to observe. And so I would love for a lot of folks to get involved. We're sponsoring the whole thing. We're not doing public fundraising or anything. This is something that we just want to do to see if we can change the temperament of the nation. And, and if we choose to sign on board to this Meditate the Vote movement and initiative, what does that look like? I know the initiative officially launches and begins on May 1st and will end on November 8th when the election time comes, right? So what does it mean? I know that you want people to get involved with making videos and uh, there's also uh, an opportunity to download the free Pause for Peace app. So I'd love for you to share how truly, what are some of the steps? What, how, how can we raise the level of awareness? I know I'll we've been sharing and tweeting about and we'd love to do more to support you thank you molly i would love for that too and i know that you're on board as well 
Absolutely. Um, signing on means to, and again, I'm very poor at social media, but ask me to find someone that you really need to help you. I'm great at that. I mean, <laughs> my relationships mean much more to me than the virtual relationships. So I have to let everyone know that's not our strong suit. Um, however, I am learning that it is a very important tool. And that's okay, so, Sister Jenna. We can help over here. If you have, <laughs> thank ask you. your friends to help you. We're, we're here to support. Thank you, Molly. So signing on means to um, go to Facebook and Twitter, and I think what they do is follow or like. Uh, starting May 1st to November 8th, we would love to begin to capture videos from friends and folks from all around the country that I meditate the vote and share why would you? Why is it important for you to amplify the quality of conversation at this time in the country? And then the third thing is feel free to host an event at home, at, a, at your workplace, at an event, anywhere in a public venue. The Shift Network, the Gaia Field Project, um, they're going to be having a virtual conversation on Meditate the Vote. So that's going to be an invitation to everyone. So we want to have conversations and individuals to talk more about how do we go deeper into being of service to the country and what are the ways that we can actually help in these areas of education, healthcare, economy, job opportunities that are also very important to keep our souls satisfied. So we want to find other ideas and ways that can help to move our country a little bit more on the upbeat, um, so to speak. And by November 8th, we're just hoping that a shift would have taken place. So I don't want us to control it a lot. I would like it to be a people's movement where everyone just gets a, a, an opportunity to feel the importance of Meditate the Vote and keep it as innocent and pure as possible. Powerfully said. Are you, do you plan on having any uh, related events at the meditation museums? Correct. Every, for every Saturday at 11 o'clock, we will be hosting a meditation program at both museums in Washington, D.C. And around the country, the Brahma Kumaris for the third Sunday of May, we'll host a Meditate the Vote World Meditation Hour, which will basically impact whatever you're thinking here does have an impact with the rest of the world. So we also invite folks to host something like that at your homes or at your friends. I always tell if you're watching a basketball game, conversations come up. I was on the golf course last week. I had a conversation about Meditate the Vote. That came up and we talked in detail about our concerns about the country and our concerns about the future generation. But it had so much dignity and respect in it. And that's what Meditate the Vote is about, too. Well, and I also know that for those that are interested in learning more about all the different programs and events, you also have a newsletter. So I invite everyone to go to your website, um, make sure that they can find information. I know you post a lot of different amazing events on your website, but you also send out newsletters. So how might our listeners uh, get involved in signing up and subscribing to your email list? Um, they can just go to, if it's for the Meditation Museum, yes. just go to meditationmuseum.org. And if they'd like more information to get updates on the radio shows and the incredible guests that we have on the air, um, they can just go to americameditating.org. Great. Well, I'd love to just ask you a couple final questions. One would be for our listeners out there who are facing difficult times in their life and maybe some challenges or just kind of in the midst of a specific phase in their life where they might feel 
like um, not necessarily hopeless, but they're just kind of losing faith. Uh, how might you present this concept of the other side or walking through it and journeying through it? Could you share some insights on how we can lift our spirits in the times when things <laughs> feel so dark? <laughs> Come on, this is only an hour show. <laughs> just, just, just the way I could do that. But I want to share with everyone that's with us right now together on the air. And um, I don't want this to be ordinary interview, which are many of the interviews I do. I don't wish to be a talking to anyone. I really would love for everyone to just be in the space with us right now. And the reason why is I'm honestly telling you this. February, March, I'm in India. Someone sent me a video of a little boy in Africa who his parents or the family says he's born a witch, so they ban them to the streets to die. A woman from Sweden comes along and starts to feed him slowly. He's so weak, he can't get up. He's like one years old and out there on the streets by himself, totally out. She's gradually feeding. The people are laughing at her. They're saying, leave him alone, he's a witch. 14 years later, this boy is 14 years old. His name is Hope. He's doing great. I'm telling the story to my mother who's with me in India, and I'm crying my eyes out. Now, I understand all of this, okay? Please understand this. And my eyes are in tears, and I'm feeling the sorrows in our world. And I'm being so frustrated with the law of karma that everything has a cause and effect, and that whoever that soul is in that body has created that part that he's playing. And yet, here's the hopeful part, and yet, when he can no longer suffer, Mali and everyone listening in, love will find you. And I can't tell you how powerful that has been for me. A friend of mine, his father committed suicide recently. It was his best friend. Wow. It was his best friend. But whatever was happening in his father's mind, even the love that was around him, he wasn't ready to receive it. And so he had to do that. And so his suffering perhaps has to elongate a little bit longer, but love will find him. So here's what I'm trying to share where I am currently. I'm currently quite frustrated with the law of karma, yet I know it is the inevitable. And I know that it's scientific. And I know that everything has a cause and effect formula to it. And why things are amplifying in a way that we're feeling absolutely like, can someone please take me off of this roller coaster or planet? We are going to be tested to go inwards, to connect to God, to Baba, and to pull that love and strength that is sitting there dormant in our souls and deal with what we have invited in our lives and to deal with it with dignity whether we like it or not. So these times are calling us to go in and find that strength that we have stopped using. And that's what this, these challenging times are asking from us. It's no longer reaching out 
in to find our cure, but is to go in and then send it out to be cured. And that's what I want to share with everyone. And I'm speaking from a voice where I can honestly share to you, I trust the spiritual wisdom that I've been holding for 30 years. I trust what I have learned, and it hasn't been very specific. I have explored so many groups, organization, teachings, and paths, not as, a, not as being in it, but being of it as a friend. And I've realized my frustration with karma is because sometimes we're just not strong enough to do the right thing, and there's a consequence. However, the light at the end of that is love will find us. Love will find every one of us. And maybe that's what we're waiting for. I have no idea, Molly. It reminds me of the times when I was in very dark places and the significance of having people who have experienced something similar and have walked through it and have basically now face the sunshine again and, and taking it in and being able to turn around and look at me and say, let me help you. And I right. think a lot of us are in that position right now. Wherever we are, we're, we're not perfect beings. That's why we're human and we're here living this human existence. So we can learn and grow and, you know, take part in this thing called life. Um, I think the most important piece that we can give is when we have experienced things that are tough and hard and difficult, not to turn it into something that stays with us as tough and hard and difficult forever, but being able mm -hmm. to know that we've been gifted with something that now we can share some empathy with and not just sympathizing with others, but we can relate and we can help each other. Uh, during these difficult times and I challenge people sometimes even in my own community is to be less um, selfish in the way that we even hold on to our gifts and talents right right you know, we're so afraid to go out and shine our light because we don't want people to judge us and say that we're too much or we're leading with ego but we also forget that when we don't do that we're not allowing those that are seeking our light and our support and our gifts that they're totally missing out on something that we are right here inside of us so easily readily available and we're holding ourselves back to sharing it. I interviewed an author in Australia and she did a book on the five regrets that many people have when they're about to die. And one of the ones that she mentioned was I didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't live. I didn't live what I wanted to do. The second thing was that they didn't love enough. The third thing was they stayed in a job that they didn't like. So it's okay to play life safe. But if you want to play it safe, always be respectful and loving to people. You're going to be safe. Your energy of safety comes from the way that you treat other people. So then you don't have to worry to keep watching what's going on behind your back because you haven't treated anyone bad. Mark you, we don't remember what we've done in past lives. And I deeply believe in past lives. And I deeply invite people to consider that as an option to bring clarity of the law of karma and why sometimes bad things happen to good people. There's a reason for that. There's something lagging somewhere in the past that the soul is still holding to that it has not remembered at this current incarnation. And so when we start to listen, for example, you're listening to your calling and you, 
you're doing what you're very passionate about and there are challenges and there are test papers, but you're going against the grain of the rest of the world and that means you are creating a change. Playing it safe and then at the end of your final breath, you're going, I didn't live the life I want. That's not a good energy to carry, even though many of us might have to do that. But don't worry about what anyone's going to ever speak about you. Follow your calling. It happens when a moment of silence meets a moment of wisdom in your being. And you get that direction. And then you start to find the tools and the things and the effort that you make to start to move that forward. Your gratification will come because you're in alignment with what you are meant to do at this incarnation, at this time. And we must do this more. It'll be risky, but at least begin to support it a little bit at a time until it manifests itself fully. That's what I really would love to share in terms of that area. Being yourself is never easy because we don't know who we are. Right. <laughs> right. So that's the job in process. But what I do know is your percentage of feeling genuinely honest with who you are and where you're at at your present time is a sign of being yourself. You can wear so many masks and show people what you want them to see and they still won't like you or accept you. So just be you. At least if they like you or don't like you, you will be okay with you. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> if you wear your masks and you still give people what you think they want and they still don't like you, that's not going to feel good for you. But if you just be you, wherever you are, whatever you are, and whether they like you or not, at least you will be okay with you. It's on my American Meditating website on the homepage. Be yourself. At least you will feel that you are living in your truth. And in your truth, there's a power that no one can take away from you. And so, eventually, and if you're really sincere and genuine about your calling or in being yourself, there will be supporters and there will be a support system and you will not feel alone. Thank you for that. I definitely wanted that to be reiterated because we all need to be reminded of that. And mm -hmm. I certainly every day do my own meditation and tapping and find all the ways in which I can center myself because you know we are living in this human body form existence and it's not easy to feel centered and and balance and what is this thing called balanced anyway right <laughs> uh, but I did want to make a note too uh, when I was at your birthday celebration and thank you so much for inviting me that was such a special special evening uh, for you and to celebrate your existence in the world and your contributions I left there with this beautiful postcard and it is sitting um, literally in my mirror now my, my bathroom mirror so I see it every day and there are two columns one column is <laughs> is the body awareness um, and the other column is your soul awareness and can you describe the difference and how really because we are living in this flesh in this package called a human being um, how do we and with your practice and your knowledge and all your years of experience how do you quickly or learn to shift and notice 
when you're in that body versus in spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we teach at the museum is to shift body awareness is what it means. You're more aware of the limited. And when you are aware of the limited, you're thinking more in a linear perspective. And so you're not coming from the light of the soul where it's amplified. You're like, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's doubt, there are criticisms, there is insecurity. And all of those thoughts and feelings and emotions are coming that I'm living at my base from a level that I am very mortal. And I am in a very fear-based existence of my life. So we call that body consciousness where we've just lost sight of who we are. We've lost sight that we are souls and we are unlimited and pure in nature. But the life experiences are still holding its memory somewhere in our cells and at the base of our subconscious. It's still sitting there and that's why we're not living fully. Soul awareness is your truth. You are here to smile at somebody who's nasty with you. You are here to live your dreams, even if you don't have the tools. You are here to live an abundant lifestyle, even if you're broke. People will come and offer you resources because you're in your true awareness. So in order to build that awareness, our focus is on our relationship with God, the supreme energy the supreme being of light. And that supreme light is just impacting the stored memory cells of the soul so much that it's moving out of the body awareness, Mali. And what's getting amplified is the soul awareness. And that's what the world needs. The world needs soul-aware citizens so the light can expand on the planet and we can be what we were meant to be, happy, true, free, powerful. You said something uh, when you gave your speech at your birthday celebration. You said, my whole goal personally is just to stay pure in my heart. And I love that. And uh, I just, you know, invite you to share with others, how do you personally practice that? Um, I get up every morning at 3, 3.30, sometimes 2.33. It's a really important time for my mind to be clean for me. And in in Indian culture, we call it Amrit Vela. It's the morning time where the most auspicious omens are around you. And you can present your aims and your goals when the time of the day is at its purest So from 3 to 4.45, from 3 to 5, that's my time because after that I'm for everyone else. So that time uh, makes my conscience clear to me. Like, Jen, what's sitting in you? There are times it's just a lot of logistics. Sometimes I feel the cries of humanity. Sometimes I see my elevated future. Sometimes I see someone's negative thoughts about me. Sometimes I just see me being me. So the morning time of a meditation practice, I think, is essential. When I talk about meditation, everyone, it's not emptying, but it's creating the right kinds of thoughts and tools to prepare you for something better. That's meditation. 
Meditation is um, emerging someone that really hates you and wishing them well. That's meditation. Meditation is seeing somebody who's 90 years old in a Tesla and wishing that was you and you go, they've earned it. That's meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's where you've got to really shift. You could see that was a real life story, right? <laughs> That's where you can just shift. You can just shift the, the attitude and the awareness of your being. Um, and then every day at six o'clock, I conduct a class live uh, around the area on conference line and at the museum. And then I have my breakfast by 8.39. And I'm just giving you an idea of my lifestyle that I am accustomed to that keeps me going. And then it's service. Service means how can I learn from you and how can you learn from me? And since I might carry wisdom in this area, how can I be of support for you? And so always living a life of charity, I think, is one of the most important things that you could do for your life. Charity in finance, charity in your good wishes, charity in being a good person, even in challenging relationships, and charity in taking care of your body, eating healthy. So I recommend having some kind of a discipline in your life. A lot of people aren't aware of our disciplines, or at least my disciplines, because you'll see me at a party with a Perrier and lemon, <laughs> thinking I'm having vodka on the rocks or something. I'm not. I'm just having a Perrier with lime, and I am fine. And I'm just as happy as everyone else. And I think that when you deepen your practice, not from a level of the surface, nothing can shake you. So your authenticity and your ability to stay pure has to be challenged by you yourself. And every day I'm challenged to remain pure at heart and clean at heart because my past is grappling. I'm grappling with my past every day and every moment. So that's why I'm on a path of spirituality, Mali. Thank you so much. Well, in our final minutes of this interview, I'd love for you to uh, share your blessings with the world. What are your greatest wishes? And as people are sitting there listening to your soulful, smooth voice, I, I've even elevated, I've even brought my voice down to match yours because you just do that to me. Um, <laughs> I would love for you to just, you know, share with us what are your greatest hopes and, and wishes and blessings and prayers for the world? Mm, I have so much. Um, mm. I know when we talk about love, it's, I don't know, we've maybe misused that word a lot, but not realizing its potency because it's so healing and it's so truthful. Mm. Maybe true love is totally uninterested in whatever is false. And um, superficial emotions keep us maybe on the surface of things and it's not based on love. But when your love is true, it will be pure. And pure love is based on your deepest, innermost sense of truth, goodness, and your desire for your life to bring benefit to the lives of everyone that you come in contact with and will come in contact with. 
So I invite everyone to remember to walk with the blessing of true love, not just love, but a love that is true, that isn't false, that doesn't need to hop from one partner to another, from one thing to another, from you know, one material aspect to another. But love that is true is like a gardener that plants the seed and has to water it and give it time to flourish. So my invitation to your community and to our community, because SOAR is now my community, is that we emanate more understanding of true love and lean into what feels uncomfortable until it gets comfortable for you. Thank you so much, Sister Jenna. That was uh, something that I hope not only resonated with me, I can find myself you know, getting emotional with that because of our own personal journey, but I hope all of our listeners are also really taking this in and really challenging ourselves, not even challenging, just be aware and, and open up to the possibility of a new story, a new definition of what success looks like, what love looks like, what uh, true spiritual connection to the soul of others looks like. And having someone like you in our lives, in the world, is uh, a very powerful, in my opinion, force. And I appreciate all the work that you and your entire team and community all over the world is helping us to do. So thank you very much for your time and your spirit and your love. You're welcome, Molly, and thank you as well. I don't have to emphasize, you know, you have represented what I've seen because I'm a good reader of souls. Your compassion to be in service is very clear. And my only recommendation to you is just always increase your power of patience and not to worry about the quick results. Because when you're changing something as big as consciousness, just consistency, determination, love, sincerity, and um, time. And you're doing a great job, and thank you. Thank you, I receive that. I definitely, definitely am taking it in, and I appreciate you. For our listeners, thank you so much for your time, always tuning in and supporting our community and being a part of our community. Again, please remember to join the movement and the initiative Meditate the Vote. Go online on Facebook and Twitter. Look up the Meditation Museum. Look up the Meditate the Vote page. And if you are interested in learning more, if you're local or even if you're global, um, about the different events that are being hosted uh, in live as well as online, please go to meditationmuseum.org and sign up for um, news and updates. I thank you again for tuning in, and we will uh, be with you again very soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com. 